All right, well, let, let's get going. Yeah, let's get going. All right. Uh, hi, I'm Hilton Obenzinger. Um, I'm uh, teaching in American Studies. I'm also uh, Associate Director of the Chinese Railroad Workers in North America Project, uh, doing research on the people who made this university possible, the people who built the Transcontinental Railroad and made Leland Stanford rich. Err. Uh, and uh, consequently, that money uh, eventually became the university. And in fact, some of those people even built the foundations of the university itself. Um, really? So, yeah. Well, we're learning all kinds of things oh. about that. And, and it's a transnational project working with Chinese scholars, actually finding out who the people were and the villages they came from and trying to make these links. So it's. Uh, it's a nice thing to oh, do. That's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, Shelley Fisher Fishkin is uh, co director along with uh, Gordon Chang. Um, and I'm associate director. So, uh, June 6th will be a, a big um, event uh, about uh, uh, the 150th anniversary. I, I didn't intend to get into it, but the 150th anniversary of, of um, large groups of Chinese coming to work on the railroad. Uh, and uh, we've been doing research, doing oral histories of descendants, families of, of the railroad worker descendants. And there'll be a large number, if we can get everyone, coming to this event to celebrate. Um, so any case, so that's a bit, and I'm a writer also. Now I've been doing this project, the How I Write project, uh, for 13 years. And, um, the event with um, Al Jopi is the penultimate event in the series. Uh, in the spring will be a talk with Ian Morris, uh, who is a, uh, uh, in the classics department and has written these kind of vast historical surveys. Uh, and um, uh, a part of the project is, of course, having these conversations. They're on Stanford on iTunes, not every single one of them, but almost all of them, video or audio or both. Uh, and you can listen to any number of them. We've gotten feedback from all over the world and other people have done how I write projects in Ireland and Italy and other places. And uh, uh, the idea is just really to talk to people in all kinds of fields to talk about how they actually write. The project will then develop, has developed into a, a book of what people's responses are, uh, which will be called How We Write, uh, the, <laughs> the Varieties of Writing Experience. Um, and that will be coming out in September. So uh, we're right on schedule. Hmm? So <laughs> you'll get me in it. <laughs> we're going to get you in the book. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, um, the way that we, we do this is um, I'll introduce Albert Jelpe and um, um, ask him to say a few words. Uh, and uh, after that, we get into a conversation about his writing and work. And uh, then we open it up to you to join the conversation, to ask questions, and we'll pass this mic around for you, know, for you to, and because we, we want to get you on the audio, so it, uh, we get it on the iTunes recording. Well, um, um, 
Al Albert Gelpi has taught uh, American literature, American poetry in particular since 1968, and retired in 2002, right? That sounds right. So, yeah. so, okay. Uh, and he's written a wide range uh, of books uh, on American poetry. One of the, uh, you know, critical, well, critical isn't because he's a critic, but, uh, uh, you know, fundamental uh, writers on American uh, poetry. Uh, book on Emily Dickinson was one of his first, The Mind of the Poet. The Tenth Muse, uh, The Psyche of the American Poet, uh, which is the first of a series. Um, a Coherent Splendor, The American Poetic, Poetic Renaissance, 1910 to 1950, which is the second. And you'll speak about the third, which has just come out, American <laughs> Poetry After Modernism, uh, The Power of the Word. Um, and um, as well as other books. A um, uh, wonderful book about uh, the poetry of C. Day Lewis and coming out with his essays, is that what it is, a collection? Uh, uh, yes, a selection of yeah. prose. Of his prose, um, 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 Wallace Stevens uh, uh, has written on Denise Levertov, and if everything goes well, inshallah, uh, God willing, next spring we're going to be doing some kind of dramatic program on Denise Levertov. That's, so, yes. that's our plan. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, an excellent poet who was here at Stanford. Adrian Rich's poetry, an introduction uh, and material here of the Norton edition with uh, Barbara uh, Charlesworth Delpy uh, as co-editor. Um, uh, and, and if I can, it, sure. we're doing a this 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 is now long out of date. It was it was done in the early '90s. In the next couple of years, we're we're doing an updating uh, uh, of Adrienne Rich's poetry and prose. I mean, she died a couple of years ago, so the record is complete, and we can we can we can make a mm -hmm. a really full I hope landmark selection. Well, that's good. That's great, uh, and and. Much, much more. Uh, I won't go into detail in terms of things you published. Robert Duncan's letters, uh, yeah, so we can, uh, all we'll kinds of that. all kinds of stuff. Uh, uh, basically, his hands in all of American poetry. It's great. So, uh, welcome everyone, and welcome. And, Thank you. Um, yes. Take it away. When when Helton first asked me to do this, I said, "Well, what do I? What will I be able to say about how I write?" And so, uh, in anxiety about that, I've, I've, I've prepared some brief opening remarks that I hope will initiate the conversation and, may, and maybe give some, uh, some focus to it. Uh, uh, so I'll be talking to you about five, five minutes or so, five, six minutes uh, 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 to start things going. And really, I have only three points I want to make. Uh, they're simple in concept but very, get very complicated when put into practice. If this were a PowerPoint presentation, and I've never given a PowerPoint presentation actually, if this were a PowerPoint presentation, these would be my three PowerPoints. First of all, I want to say something about the craft of writing, about writing as craft. Um, I looked up the word craft in the dictionary and the dictionary defines craft as, quote, skill or ability in something, especially in handwork or the arts, unquote. And another definition, 
an occupation or trade, especially one requiring manual dexterity. I think we might add, or mental dexterity as well. Uh, so I started thinking about craft and writing as a craft. And what the dictionary says, as you heard, is that, that a craft is an occupation or trade, maybe even a vocation, that requires skill and ability. Writing is a craft, sometimes at its best, I think, aspiring to something like art. Um, the writer is a craftsman, sometimes aspiring to something uh, of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of being an artist. And what, what guides and, and impels the craftsman and the artist in his or her, uh, in his or her work is, uh, is, I think, first and foremost, respect for the medium. His or her knowledge of the meeting, medium, awareness of the medium, his or her skillful technique in using the material medium to make something. If you think about it, a, a painter has to know paint, know everything about paint, know how to use it, know how different techniques uh, make for different effects um, and different forms. And similarly, a craftsman has to know the leather or metal or clay uh, that he or she uses to make, to shape, to fashion the artifact. So writing, writing as craft, a writer's, a writer's medium is, of course, words. And so the writer has to respect words, has to love words, has to know words, everything he or she can get to know about words, how words mean, what words mean, what words suggest beyond their immediate meaning, how they sound individually as words and in sequences, how the pieces fit together grammatically uh, and rhythmically uh, and logically how the pieces can be arranged into larger and more complex forms, sentences, paragraphs, essays, chapters, poems, plays, stories. So I'm thinking about writing as a language act, as an act of language. Speaking is, of course, uh, a language act as well, but writing is clearly a much more conscious, and self-conscious, a much more reflexive and self-reflexive uh, language, uh, language act. Good writing is made and crafted. It's not something that can happen casually or thoughtlessly. It demands concentration, discipline, practice, persistence, revision, and revision again. It, as a craft, it is, you're trying to use language so that it combines spontaneity and control, intuition and analysis, insight and argument. So that's my first point, that language is a craft that we all need to discipline ourselves 
to use. And we can talk more about the craft of light, writing later as we get into the conversation. But my second point uh, concerns what you write about. It's obvious that we all write best when we are engaged by and engaged in the topic or issue or problem or experience, the whole, the whole complex tangle of circumstances that requires writing, that brings us to writing, to untangle, uh, untangle the tangle. So it's that vital and personal engagement that generates the energy and urgency of good writing. I know that we're not always free to choose the topic totally, uh, but what I want to say is that even in assigned tasks, look to find something that grabs you, that sparks you, that, that draws you out, draws you to it. And when you do that, I think you'll discover that the engagement between the writer uh, and the subject matter works both ways. That is to say, as you explore and clarify and give definition to the topic in the combining and shaping of words, you are in that very process exploring and clarifying and giving definition to something in yourself, something of yourself. All good writing then, in that sense at least, is creative writing, not just poems and stories and plays. So look for something that calls to you, that calls out to you, that calls you out to it. And that's part of the calling or vocation of writing. In my case, as Hilton was saying, uh, what I was called to was writing about poetry, especially writing about American poetry. Uh, and we can talk more specifically about uh, about what I did, how I went about it later on. But my third PowerPoint synthesizes craft and subject matter in the process of writing. The, the poet Robert Creeley summed it up with this dictum of his. He said, form is never more than an extension of content. Think about that now. Form is never more. Form is never more than an extension of content. Form and content are inseparable. He's saying, the shaping and sequencing and organizing you do in the process of writing, word by word, sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph, crafts and makes the meaning. Creeley's, Creeley's sentence is simple enough, and the idea behind it is simple enough, but I think we need constantly to be reminded of it. We need constantly to be aware of it as we write, uh, as we enter this process, as we perform this process. Form is never more than an extension of content. Content is never more than an expression of form. Creeley's, uh, Creeley's friend, Denise Levertov, a poet herself, revised his dictum to give it another inflection. She said, form 
is never more than the revelation of content, the revelation of content, the expression of content, and the revelation of content. Form, in other words, both explores and contains content. Craft both defines but also and discloses, sometimes even discovers meaning. It opens to close and it closes to open. So those are my three PowerPoints uh, and they're, 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 they're very broad, they're fundamental but very general concepts. And maybe we can get into how it works out and what it means uh, as we begin our conversation. And I guess Hilton can begin, yeah. begin our conversation now. Well, that was terrific. Um, I guess I would ask you, uh, starting with the first of what you said, uh, craft. How did you learn your craft? Well, you know, um, yeah. you, know uh, you had your college, etc. But how did you actually get into writing, even yeah. as a young person? Yeah. I guess I was always, or from, you know, teenage, from, certainly from college age, interested in, in, in language and in words. But when I first started writing, um, and what I, be, what I was writing were, the, were then term papers and then finally a dissertation and, and then chapters for books, but when I first started writing, I wrote it out long, I wrote it out longhand. I, I was never a good typist. I'm still not. I'm still not a good typist, and I don't write in longhand uh, before. But when I began, I started writing it out in longhand, and then often I would read it out loud. Read it out loud to my, to, to myself. Uh -huh. Partly, what that that does is slow you down uh, and make you look at every word and every sentence. But also, it makes you. It makes you hear it, it, so that you can hear the sentence and hear how how it works and how it runs and whether the sentences then fit together, whether they run together, whether they flow together, whether they make a paragraph uh, that is a kind of uh, some kind of unit of sense um, and statement. So, so I'd write it out longhand and. As I say, often I would I, I would I would just I would read it and see how it sounded orally, but also mm -hmm. how it sounded to me in 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 my head. I I don't I don't I don't read it aloud uh, anymore. Uh, maybe it's a matter of practice, but I certainly I, I certainly after I after I write a write a draft or part of a draft of a of a chapter, I I go back. And and read it very slowly, as it were, reading it aloud uh, inside my head, so that so that I read it sentence by sentence, and and sometimes word by phrase by phrase, word word by word, t testing it out, uh, uh, seeing if it registers, seeing seeing if it fits into the sequence of sentences that make that that make a paragraph. Um, I. I, I, I tried. I try. I, I, I write the first draft pretty, uh, not very fast, but pr but pretty fast, uh, so that 
I can I can I can get a get the keep the momentum going and sort of carry through an idea or or carry through an idea and see where it leads and see where it might lead see what connections might open up and 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 get a draft but but then you have to go back over it sentence by sentence and paragraph by paragraph and what finally gets pu gets published there's there's I think there's never there's hardly ever a sentence that isn't in some way uh, revised or changed, sometimes rewritten, sometimes dropped, uh, and and new stuff added. But it, it's a, it's so it's a kind of initially, not fast, but initially a flowing uh, thing, and then just a lot of, a lot of revising, a lot of going back uh, and refining and defining. Uh, and uh, and sounding it out, and and that makes it sound laborious. Uh, and in some ways, I guess it is a lot of work. It's very, in, it's very intense. But there's a kind of, at least I find when I'm writing, there's a kind of, there's a kind of energy uh, and uh, an urgency about it that 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 keeps you there. You might you might be tired at the end of the day. But it's been a great day when you know, <laughs> when you when it when it go when it goes well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm going on and on. I'll no, stop go, for now. Keep you know. going. No, <laughs> no that, that. Well, you know, in in going through that process, because you say there's a flow that you keep, you know, you kind of try to maintain. Uh, do you ever, you know, hit a roadblock? Do you ever have a, uh, a you yeah. know, time that you have to stop, or, or even, uh, you know, like people like to say, you know, writer's block or yeah. something like that. No, I never, I never had writer's block in the sense that, you know, that I, I couldn't write. You were for, paralyzed. For, or or, yeah. I was paralyzed and couldn't do it for yeah. a month or six months or, or a year. But certainly, you, again and again, you reach a really naughty place in the writing mm -hmm. where, where you're trying to get all kinds of things connected and put together and in a proper uh, ratio and tonality and so on. And it just seems, you know, it just becomes a knotted mess of, 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 of words. And so, yeah, then you stop for the day and go have a martini and go dinner with Barbara and, <laughs> and hope that the next day, the next day it, it begins to clarify. And it usually does uh, mm -hmm. the next day, somehow just letting it sit uh, and uh, uh, letting it sit, and letting your, s and you withdrawing from it, and I think all the while, your head, your even if you're not conscious of it, uh, things are clicking and ticking in your head, and somehow when you come back to it, you think, oh yeah, uh, that didn't work because of this, and oh, let's try it this way, and let's let's rewrite that part, or let's bring it th that part that's that. Two pages back. Let's bring that up and see see whether that then makes and and it works it works out. Uh -huh. <laughs> so uh, you feel very comfortable about I don't know how to, uh, playing around with the material that yeah. you have. Oh, I think I'll take the ending and see how it works at the beginning. Yeah, that type of thing. Well, I've never done that dramatic a switch, but uh, but I but I, but mm -hmm. I yeah sure yeah. you got to fiddle and and see. One sequence, you know, of uh, of thought that you worked out. You you go back when, and when you reread it, and it doesn't really quite work. There are there are gaps in the logic, in the flow, in the continuity, 
And if you look at it long enough, you either can add something, or, or sometimes you can just start moving the parts around, like in a yeah. jigsaw puzzle, and they, they, finally, they finally fit, they fit together. And, you, and you, know, you, you brought this up already, but you gain a pleasure from this. Yeah, yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, well, you know, for, yeah. uh, there are, uh, I have inter you know, in our conversations, I've yeah. talked with people who do not like to write, and it's part of their job description that uh, they have to write things, oh. and it's very difficult for them to get pleasure out of it. Yeah. They like having written, yeah. right? That yeah. know, Dorothy Parker yeah. type thing. You know. Yeah. Well, it's nice to look back and be pleased with something you've written, but that's a different kind of thing from. Just the the challenge and the mm -hmm. energy of taking material that you've been thinking about that's very complicated uh, and has many possibilities of of connection and relation and and seeing how you can put it together so that it mm -hmm. works well and then maybe works a little better uh, mm -hmm. and you never probably get to works best but yeah I think it's yeah. I think it's I, I think well, one of the yeah. things that you do uh, in the type of work that you do is that you have these kind of broad sense of, let's say you're writing about uh, Wallace Stevens or yeah. Ezra Pound, and, and, and then you go into a particular poem. Yeah. And, you know, you do what we all recognize now as the close reading. You interpret, <laughs> you get the phrase here and how this echoes there, yeah. um, and, uh, and then you come back out again. Yeah. Um, and uh, those are two, in some ways, very distinct moves, uh, kind of a broader picture. Yes. And then getting basically sucked into a poem. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yes. Uh, and it, it was the challenge for me in writing this, this book, but mm -hmm. also in writing the two previous books. They, 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 they make, they make a, a large and ongoing critical historical argument about the development of American poetry, about the development of what I want to think of as a distinctive American Tradition uh, in poetry, um, and 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 so there is there is the the challenge was 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 how to how to develop and sustain uh, that that argument as you move from the 19th century, early 20th century, and now to the second half of the 20th century, how to how to how to sustain that ongoing and large argument while substantiating it and illustrating it mm -hmm. by reading particular poems mm -hmm. in close, uh, often closely and in depth, sometimes for, for uh, four pages. So you do sort of move in and yeah. out of, of two different kinds of writing and two different kinds of discourse, uh, really. Uh, um, and, and, and that takes a lot of, a lot of Revi persistence and revision also, but when it works, yeah, it's yeah. great. <laughs> well, well, you know, and one of the things that I've noticed is that, okay, well, let me put it this way. You have this argument that you develop, you have this overview, yeah. uh, this kind of conversation you have between the different poets you yeah. write about, 
and and then you have the the particular poems and the close yeah. readings of the poems. Now, obviously, you've read the works by mm -hmm. these poets, yeah. uh, but you know, do you develop your argument by let's say I'm not sure I'm going to just go do a close reading of this poem. I'm going to do proof rock. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get into proof rock, and then that opens up mm -hmm. the idea of a broader argument. Yeah. Or, or you know, I have this sense of T.S. Eliot overall, yeah. and now I'm going to go yeah. uh, uh, see how it works out by doing a close reading. You follow what I'm trying to ask there about, you know, it's kind of like, uh, do you develop your argument by going into the poems deeply first, and then the argument? Obviously, you have to read the poems, uh, yeah. you know, or do you develop kind of an argument from a kind of a general overview and then get deep into a particular yeah. poem? <clears throat> I, th I think uh, well, when I'm thinking about it and, 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 and trying to work out uh, what I want to say and what I want to do, I think I work from the poetry to the argument. Mm. But I think in presenting it in the book, uh, mm. uh, in, 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 in making that presentation, I think what I, I, I never tried to formulate this for myself before, but I think what I do is present initially the, the argument and the context for the reading of Eliot or re the reading of, uh, of Prufrock and then do the reading and then come back and sort of say you see what you saw there, yeah, you know, recapitulate. Yeah recapitulate the argument. So it's a different, it's a different process of uh -huh. working it out, writing it, rather than think, think, thinking, uh -huh. it, thinking it through. So in the process of writing actually deepens the yeah. thinking, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to read you, because one of the things that uh, I find is that, um, you know, you're writing about poetry. Poetry is inherently interesting as poetry. So you know you always get this right. You always get this thing of well, because you, you mentioned this before. Uh, um, Rebecca Solnit uh, uh, pointed this out. People talk about creative nonfiction, and it really irritates her mm -hmm. because it kind of values fiction, mm -hmm. and then nonfiction. And so, what happened to the essay? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. For you know, and uh, and and your writing is very uh, interesting in and of itself. So. Good. Here's just a little, <laughs> uh, just after the advent of the new century, Ezra Pound, an only child born in 1885 in the pioneer mining town of Haley, Idaho, and reared by adoring parents in suburban Philadelphia, was pondering his calling as a poet. Moreover, like Homer, we can presume, like Virgil, quite clearly, like Dante and Spencer and Milton, we know, he was thinking how to be a great poet. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I didn't remember that sentence. That's good. <laughs> I thought, oh, okay. I mean, there's, a, there's a, 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 there, there are two things about that, or a couple yeah. of things about that. One, it's, it's very witty, hmm. and it's enjoyable. <laughs> and two, um, you just, you've got great chutzpah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm going to tell him, you know, this is, this is, he thought he was going to be a great poet. Yeah. Of course, he had even bigger, bigger yeah. chutzpah. Yeah. But <laughs> Yeah. How, do, how do you, um, you have to take a, you know, in other words, undergraduates, even graduate students writing, they get to be very timid about, uh. m about 
uh, asserting things and then yeah. um, and then having style in the yeah. way that they assert it. Yeah. Yeah. And this isn't your first book, but you know, still, how how did you I develop that style? How did that develop? I, I, I don't know. But I think it is it is assert. I mean, I can't. I think I I do assert my assert my argument. Unlike, I mean, a lot of literary criticism involve, uh, uh, in a lot of literary criticism, the critic gets very involved with uh, arguing with other critics mm -hmm. about, about the work. So it becomes, it becomes an argument about, about the discourse, about, about the poet. Um, and a lot of good, good uh, criticism is, is written that way. I think of Marjorie Perloff as being a, a, a master or a mistress of, uh, of, 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 that, of that kind of criticism. But I don't write criticism. I mean, it's, it's not that, I, it's not that I, I, I'm careless about, about uh, what's been written about Eliot or Stevens uh, or, or Pound. Uh, I, I read it and try to be responsible to it and responsive uh, to it, but but I go about my business by, 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 by stating my case, by presenting my point of view, by making my argument, bringing in other critics where, where their point of view impinges on what I'm saying, either to support it or, 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 or to, contra to, ch to challenge it. And, and so I bring other, other, other critics in at that point. But, I'm much less interested in arguing with other critics uh, than with saying what I saying what I had to say. And you're asking me how that how I came to do that. I'm I'm not sure, but I think one of the things um, Barbara and I were in graduate school at Harvard in the late 50s and and early 60s, um, and the department was still a very strong historical department, but it also the close. Textual reading uh, was was coming in, and I think what we got out of our Harvard training was a sense that you can read you can read this stuff and you can you can make an argument about it, uh, and you're not you're not uh, you're not you, it's not that you don't, you don't care about the discourse uh, about the poet. But you're a critic, and you're writing about this, and you're interpreting this, and if you're good, that's all you need to do. Mm -hmm. And I, so if I had to say where, where my, my way of, of presenting an argument comes from, I, I would think that's it. Wouldn't you think that's it, Barbara? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A mother, oh, she says also, in case you can, <laughs> also a mother who believed in me. <laughs> That's true. I think, I think that there's something about what somehow that yeah. you have a, your, you don't have to be a, be backed up by somebody yeah. else. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay, mothers. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well it, but this is an important thing that I've seen. Um, it's kind of like the undergraduate or even the graduate student who says, well, according to 
so-and-so. Uh, Foucault says this. Um, Henry James says this. Yeah. Uh, Bob Hope says that. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, uh, and they can't say it. Yeah. What they say is what other people say, and yeah. therefore I'm validated in yeah. saying whatever it is that I'm saying. Yeah. It's a leap yeah. to be able to say, look, this is what I think. Yeah. And it's built upon knowing all yeah. this stuff. So, so yeah. I, 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 that, that's something that's, I think, very hard for people to, yeah. to grasp. I'm interested you think of, think of me as doing it that assertively. But when well, I mean, not in an aggressive kind of way, but you know, <laughs> yeah. you simply put it out. It's got a very, it's yeah. very interesting that way. Yeah. Let, let me ask you something, and we're yeah. going to open it up for other people. You want to add to that? Yeah. I mean, people have said, you know, you you seem to talk about the American poetic tradition as though, as though you have it all figured out in your head, um, and. Uh, if that's true, it's because I really have been, I really have been thinking about this through my whole professional li uh, professional life. My, we got our, our degrees from Harvard in, in 1962, and Bar Barbara went to teach at, at Santa Barbara for a couple of years. This is before we were married, before we were even romantically involved, but we were very good friends in graduate school. Barbara was, I stayed at, at Harvard, and, and that the first year as a beginning as assistant professor, um, I'd written my dissertation on Emily Dickinson under, under Perry Miller, and, but my first year as an assistant professor, they said, we want you to teach a lecture course uh, for the whole year, two semesters, on the history of American poetry from the Puritans to the present. Um, so I said, okay, I could try, <laughs> I'll try, I'll try. So I, needless to say, I worked very hard to get those lectures up and I gave them for, uh, for, for several years um, at Harvard, running from, from, from the beginning of the fall semester to the end of the spring semester, that that started me thinking about the, 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 the dialogue between poets, especially about their poetics, uh, what they thought they were doing, what their concept of the poem was, what their sense of language was, what their sense of how, 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 how words come to mean uh, in uh, in poems, I started. So I started thinking way back then uh, about how they spoke to one another and what kinds of connections and responses, uh, uh, and what kind of pattern uh, I might see, what kind of continuities uh, uh, I might see, and so, and so, in a sense, the 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 project that. I'm bring, rounding off in in in, uh, in this book goes all the way back to the early to the early uh, 60s, and I taught a lot of things at, at uh, I taught I taught other things at Harvard, and I taught a lot of other things uh, at Stanford, including prose uh, Amer uh, American prose. But but what I was working at all the way through, all all along was really this big thing of trying to account for the development of, a, uh, of, of an American 
poetry. And so after a while, I, I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll write a book about that. I'll try to work it out. Because you can't really work it out until you have to really say something and put it down in print uh, 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 about it. So I thought, okay, well, I'll write a book about it. And, and the book kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, uh, and finally, Barbara said, this isn't a book. You've got you've to stop it at some point and break it into at least uh, two books. And so it became two books and, uh, uh, and, now, uh, uh, and now three. So um, it's, it's, what I, it's, it's what I've been thinking about and, and working on from, from the beginning. And so publishing this book is very... It's 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 wistful in a way because it it completes that that big project, but it's also very great, very satisfying. Yeah, yeah. that's terrific. Uh, we <laughs> so. won't we won't measure how many years that's taken. Wow, a long time. I think, uh, yeah, uh, uh, that's a life project. Yeah. yeah, and we were raising kids, and I was teaching, and. Yeah. administering, and there were a lot of other things going on. Yeah, but, well, but that's. That certainly on on the, on the on the level of my professional life, that was the trajectory. That yeah. that's the continuity. That that's uh -huh. what carried through. Let, let me ask you one more thing, and then let's open it up for people. Yeah. Um, you know, the actual concrete thing of writing, in the sense of, uh, do you have a place to write? Uh, where would it be? Do you have a certain habit or? Uh, uh, wake up in the morning. Do you, do you wear uh, do you wear uh, writing clothes uh, or unclothes? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm fully clothed. You're fully clothed. Right. <laughs> You're right. Okay. <laughs> so you know those kinds yeah, of no. things. Is there a time of day? Or, yeah. yeah. Well, now I write. Uh, we have we each have our own little study uh, at home, and uh, and. Before that, I, I, you know, I, uh, I would write sometimes in the library, but mostly at home, mostly in the home study. I didn't mm -hmm. use my library study very much for writing, and that's partly because over the years, I, I've 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 got a really remarkable <laughs> collection of 20th century uh, poetry and 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 a lot of criticism of the so the my books are all at home in the, in, in 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 the study and I could just get up and 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 go and pull a book off off uh, off off of the off of the shelf and if I needed to supplement it from the criticism especially I could go to the library and get it but but yeah no I think I think the home study became a, the cocoon mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, that I would and Usually, I would usually I'd start in the in the, in the morning, mm. but it often went through till martini time. <laughs> <laughs> so, you want to add to that? Wait, wait, wait. Let, let me give you the mic. That's all right. That, don't worry about it. But but I'm just going to remind Al that you wrote parts of a coherent splendor while working as an associate dean i think that there yeah so grace under pressure the i don't know why you had to write it in the dean's office but that was what 
what you or was it that you were I don't think I wrote in. I don't think I wrote in the dean. No, dean's but office. there was something they used to. There was some story about yeah. how you would be part of the days. This wasn't when you were doing the deaning, yeah. but 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 you could also write there. Yeah. I mean, if you. <laughs> <laughs> I so. You also had kids. Uh, uh, what? Ki you had children. You had yes. Two. And and they were <laughs> and they were in the vicinity. Yeah. Did, did, was that uh, a factor? Because a lot of people have talked about what it's like to write with children around banging yeah. on the doors or sitting on their lap. Nancy Parker talked about the kids sitting on her lap. <laughs> but they were in school. I, I, I didn't write in the evenings. Okay, so that, that was uh, not, not an issue for you. No. Actually, Does anybody have any questions? Yeah. Let's, let's open it up for people, and then what I'm going to do is hand you the mic, and then you hand it to the next person. Uh, my question has to do with the, the nationalism of poetry, and uh, somehow American poetry uh, moved you to devote your life to expanding and explaining certain yeah. aspects. What, what were those aspects? of American poetry that were so important to you? Oh. Well, I, th I think what makes, at least what I argue, uh, and, and summarize in the coda uh, to this book, American poets, from the very beginning, there was something idiosyncratic and eccentric uh, about American poetry from the beginning. Um, yes, there were friendships and schools and movements and so on, but, but, but uh, I think American poets, unlike English poets, I mean, I think that's, that's, the, that's what makes for the big dis distinction I'd make between the British tradition and the American tradition. British tradition really is a tradition. Um, it goes way back, and it's, 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 very, it's, it's very strong. There's a literary class. Uh, it's much more recognized uh, in, in, uh, 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 in Britain. Uh, there's a long tradition uh, of poetry and the forms of poetry and, uh, and the uses of poetry. I think, I think American, poets, American poets from the beginning were much more marginalized uh, than, the, than, they, than, than they were uh, in, uh, in Britain. It partly had to do with the circumstances of a new country, a raw country, a country making itself uh, economically and moving west and, and so on. Um, but I, I, I think from the beginning, American poets had to, had to justify being a poet and had to define to themselves what it was to be a poet because the role wasn't given. Uh, the tradition wasn't, wasn't given. They had to, in, in a way, invent themselves as a poet, invent, them, invent, invent themselves, uh, invent a language, invent a sense of form, invent a poetics that would sustain their poetry uh, fr from, from the beginning. Um, 
And so that, that, fascinate, that, that fascinated me, the, the individuality and, and idiosyncratic nature of, uh, of, uh, of American poetry. And I think that, that came out, in my case, it came out of the fact that, that I was a student of, of Perry Miller's at, uh, at Harvard. I, I was one of his last dis dissertation uh, uh, students before he died. And Miller, Miller was, was one of the founding and great American, um, American intellectual historians. Um, and so studying under Miller uh, and engaged me in thinking about this country, the development of this country, uh, intellectually, philosophically, religiously, literarily, uh, and what made us uh, 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 a new thing uh, in the in the history of in the history of of the West. And then I and then I found within Miller wasn't particularly involved with poetry and with 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 poets, and uh, so I found I found I found my my way in through through poetry. Is that is that? Uh, uh, to me, m most of what you just described was craft. Is what? Craft. 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 <laughs> Not crap. Craft. <laughs> uh, of, of, of your three words, and the first oh, craft. One is craft. Oh, right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> What, what about content or the, the the themes of American poetry? What they were writing poetry about? Yeah. Well, well, that's hard to that's hard to that's hard to to sum up. But certainly, the uh, I think the the supremacy of of the individual uh, and the responsibility of the individual to to him, to him or herself, more most often himself, uh, uh, in in the, in the history in the history in, in, in the history of American poetry, the kind of of uh, antinomian strain. I mean, if you want to trace it back to Puritan history, the antinomian strain. Uh, that says uh, you must be true to to your own sense of yourself, of country, of duty, of responsibility, uh, of relationship. That's primary, and it 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 it. And nobody can tell you no no civil uh, institution, no religious institution. You, you the, the your own. Conscience, conscience, and consciousness is what defines uh, who you are, what you say, what 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 you do, and I think that's again sets American poets off from from the main main the, the main tradition in British poetry. Uh, in uh, coherent splendor, you have a. Um I couldn't find it, a, a section uh, explaining why one poet could not be a British poet. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, and, uh, 
oh. and, and how a British poet could, and you were actually going through several uh, American poets yeah. and saying, well, how, Emily yeah. Dickinson, you yeah. got it, you know, it, no way. Well, no. I mean, certainly, <laughs> certainly Eliot, for example, a lot of British, British, uh, a lot of people in England take Eliot as a, as a British poet. Well, to my mind, he's an American poet, uh, and and Eliot more more or less said that in his uh, in his in his later years, because no matter how much he bought into uh, English tradition and English society and English uh, institutions. There's something very uh, individualistic uh, and pure, and he would, he he said, uh, and his sensibility, he's more his his sources are New England, are really Puritan uh, and uh, and New England. So he is he he remains remains for me a predominantly American poet, whereas Auden, who spent so much time in this country. Uh, uh, became a, became an American citizen. Auden's language, the forms he uses, the assumptions behind the whole poetic act, remained British t uh, to the end. So that Auden, though an American citizen, seems to be a British poet, and and uh, Eliot, <laughs> though an English subject, seems to me uh, an American poet. Mm -hmm. uh, Bowery, yeah. <laughs> I get the New Yorker, and I'm not crazy about their poetry. My favorite poet is Billy Collins. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering who your favorite poem is, poet is. I'm wondering whether you could read a poem of yours. And I want to say that the poets I know, like me, have come to poetry from some tragedy in their lives. Mm -hmm. So any comments on any of that? Yeah. Uh, you're asking me who my favorite poets are? Well, no, I'd like you to read a poem of yours. I'd like you to read of a my poem. my own? Yes. Oh, and I'd I, like to know whether it came about through some tragedy yeah, or sadness in your yeah. life. Because the poets I know that are living, that I associate with, yeah. that's, that's yeah. what prompted their poetry. Well, uh, I, think, uh, I think poetry often arises out of crisis or challenge and so on. As far, as far as reading my po my poems, I almost never write poems. Uh, occasionally, I write poem to Barbara uh, for her birthday or, or something, but I don't have them here, and I don't have them in my head. I I, I don't think I have the what the the courage the 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 courage to be a poet, the courage to be as, uh, as, n as naked and open as I think a poet, a great, great poets are and great poets uh, have to be. Um, I, I, I knew Jack Kerouac some in his, in his last years, and at one, at one point he said to me, Al, you are a poet manqué. And uh, <laughs> you could take that as uh, as an insult. You're, you're not. You're. You know. But I think he meant it affirmatively that you're not really a poet, but but you dig poetry. You dig poets. You you, un you understand how poets. You're all. You're almost. You're all but a poet. You're, you're almost a poet. Something like that. 
and certainly some of the most gratifying responses I've had in my life is when, and it's happened a number of times, when a poet says, what you wrote about my work makes a lot of sense. And a few cases say, you know, I, you made me see things I didn't, I, I didn't myself see in the poetry. So I can't, I can't offer you. Do you a, have a favorite a poem? Poem? A, no. A single no. favorite poem? A, a single poem? No, no. I don't want to. No, no. I wouldn't want to do that. You, no. you have this whole family of poets. Yeah. So, so, in yeah. poem, no, no poet came up to you and said, "I feel like smacking you in the face." You got it totally wrong. <laughs> no. No. Okay. Good. No. No. <laughs> There's somebody in the back, Charlie. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've got a question that I think follows on your question. Is this on? Is it working? Yeah. 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 Um, so, a little anecdote. Uh, it was year and a half ago, two summers ago, when I was in Ireland, and Seamus Heaney died. Wait, Seamus Heaney died in, when I was in Ireland. Uh -huh. And oh, I had yeah. this uh -huh. experience of a nation mourning for yes. a poet. And, um, and you I, were there then, huh? Yeah, yeah it turned yeah. out I, I, I was there at that time. And I, I wasn't there for the funeral, but I heard this anecdote about Paul Muldoon coming over from Princeton for the funeral. And he came through Heathrow, and the customs agent asked him what his occupation is, and what his business was, and he said, I'm a poet. And the custom agent said to him, oh, you must be devastated. Mm -hmm. Understanding that his great poet had just died. Yeah. And this is a custom agent in Heathrow. I mean, maybe he was extraordinary custom agent, or maybe he was just... <laughs> maybe it was Herman Melville was the custom agent. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and so I was thinking about this recently when Philip Levine died. And, and I personally love Philip Levine, and I love his poetry. And I was impressed, struck, surprised maybe a little bit. There was front page news in the New York Times and featured uh, interview uh, from the archives on Terry Gross that there must have been a lot of people who, who were saddened by the passing of this voice, of this yeah. poet. So uh, that encouraged me to think that people are reading poetry and that current contemporary American poetry is meaningful to them. Uh. Uh, and I actually agree with you. I like Billy Collins very much. And I like accessible poets like Billy Collins, like Mary Oliver, like Philip Levine. And oftentimes when I talk to my academic colleagues, they kind of snort and snuff and, you know, Billy uh. Collins, Mary Oliver, easy uh. to accessible. Anyway, I guess I'm rounding around to a question for you, Alice. Um, do you think that I'm right in having the sense that Americans, many Americans beyond the academy, do read poetry today, and it's meaningful them, to them in their lives? And if you have the, that sense, if that's the case, who, are they, who do you think they're reading? Yeah. After we discuss this, there's someone back there. I just yeah yeah go. So the question is, do I think that that poetry matters to people in, in this country the same way that Seamus Heaney mattered to the Irish? Is it mm. is that what, it, what you were asking? If, if you want to answer that question, that would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Part you know. Part of me wants to say uh, that isn't the case <laughs> in this country. Uh, and that's part of the dilemma 
that American poets have had to deal with from the, be from the beginning, the sense of being very much marginalized uh, in a country that's so driven by profit capitalism uh, and economic, uh, economic uh, e expansion. Um, but, you know, there are poets. I mean, Seamus, Seamus Heaney is, is a, uh, was a national figure. Robert Frost was a national figure. Uh, um, uh, even T.S. Eliot. And, I, and, and you know, and I was struck when Philip Levine died a couple of weeks ago. He was in the front page of the New York Times. Now, not everybody reads the New York Times, but I, I thought that was, that, was, that was remarkable and that was wonderful. And when Adrienne Rich died, she was on the front, it was, she was so that, so that um, you know, so I, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I think poetry is in a bad way in, in, in the country, in the sense that you know they're so. Who New York Times Book Review almost never reviews poets. They reviewed Jory Graham's collected poems last last week, but by and large they don't cover poetry. And and uh, and poetry classes and courses are, I think, are are quite small. But but maybe maybe I mean. But as long as the poetry is is vital and alive and connected. Maybe numbers, maybe one can't get too, too uh, stuck on, uh, on, uh, on, on, on numbers. Um, I guess Billy Collins is something of a national, uh, national figure also, yeah. Oh, okay. Yes, he's back. There he oh, is. did you want? We, who? No, no, we need the mic. We must have the mic because we want it recorded. That way we can get Thank sued. <laughs> well, I th uh, earlier in the conversation, you, uh, you mentioned this idea of you noticing the power of words and words speaking to one another um, yes. and that kind of being the impetus for a multi-book project. And I was just cu curious, thinking back um, to your scholarly journey in poetry, um, was there a moment where you actually had this realization of, of your ability to interpret? And I was wondering if you could talk about kind of your, your journey leading up to that moment, and after that, how you continue to keep that skill in check and develop that uh, ability to Did I have a interpret. moment of what? Uh, b this moment where you realized the power of how words speak with one another and your ability oh. to interpret. Um, no, I mean, I, I don't think there was a sort of epiphany or, con or a conversion well, actually, moment. How did you develop it then over time? like that. But, you know, I think it just it grew over the, over, over the years and through reading poems. You, I mean, again and again, you read a poem and you think, ah, oh, wow, you know. Uh, and you know you're changed by it. You know it, it's opened your eyes and your heart and your mind. Uh, in a different way, or it's used language in a way that's new and, and exciting, and you think, ah. So I think it's just something that, 
came, you know, that came to me over, 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 over the years. That, and you know, I mean, speech is, is a kind of uniquely human, human activity, uh, and it's something we, language is something we've got to take, take seriously since we live in it anyway. Let's live in it as deeply and fully as we can. But I, there was no, wow, Shazam, <laughs> you know, I, I see it. I think there, were, there Sarah, was some, yeah. yeah, and then someone else, yeah, okay. <laughs> but, you're, but you're right, the power, I mean, the, 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 the subtitle of, of this new book is The Power of the Word. I wanted it to be the title. And the marketing people at the press said, no, we need a descriptive title. So it's now called American Poetry After Modernism. So that places it. But then under, under the subtitle is, the, is, is where the action really is, yeah. the power of the word. <laughs> so, yeah, Sarah. Yeah, so speaking of which, congratulations on the book. I guess what? You, you just got the book in your hands, what, in, within the last few yes. days, right? Yesterday. Okay, great. <laughs> So congratulations. Um, and then also just on this topic, what can you give us a, a sneak preview of the maybe the overarching argument you make in the book? This one. Uh, the new book. The new yes. One. Just to just to touch on your your own revelations in, in the writing of it and in the final chapter. Uh, well, it has to do with the word and, and the power of language. Um, and uh, I, I, I try to summarize it in the, in the, in the coda at the end, of the last eight or, eight, eight or 10 pages. But what I, let me see if I can, I can rehearse that sensibly. Uh, what, I, what I try to argue is that from the, from the beginning, American poets questioned language, the power of language, the limits of language, the ability of language to, uh, to speak truth or to distort truth, uh, to arrive at, uh, at some, at rea to, to say something about reality, whether it could get to some ultimate truth, ultimate reality, or not, and I, it goes. I start. I start with the Puritan distinction between what they called types and tropes. It was a different sense of language. A type was 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 uh, was a word that um, was was an image or a word that 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 articulated an intrinsic truth. And a trope was a figure of speech, was, was similes, metaphors, uh, uh, figure, figurative language. Uh, and so the, the, the question of whether, whether you could tell the truth in poetry and how you told the truth, and whether the truth was an ultimate truth or, or, or a constructed and made up truth, whether language was able to penetrate to the real reality, or whether meaning was something you made up in the construction of language. Um, and that 
that tension, that argument, that dialectic is there from the very beginning in Puritan writings about, about, uh, about literature and about language. And so uh, what I try to do is trace out how that dialectic works out uh, through, the, through the course of American through the course of, Amer of, of American poetry. And, and the Tenth Muse deals with American Romantic poetry with the, with, the, with the poets of the 19th century. Coherent Splendor deals with the great modernist generation of Eliot and Pound, Williams, uh, Frost, and so, and so on. And this new book deals with the post-war uh, post uh, generation. But the, 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 the ongoing argument and dialectic in, in the three books is, is the question of, of whether words have power or whether words are, uh, are very limited in, in their power, maybe, maybe totally slippery uh, in, in, in their, in their sig signification, and how, this, how, how poets worked this out th through. But, but the continuity I see is, is the continui continuity of trying to answer that argument, uh, and each generation having to re... Uh, recast the terms in which that argument is carried out, and each individual poet having to answer that question for himself or for herself. Uh, and that's what made, I argue, for a distinctively American tradition in poetry. So. Did, did you want to continue? Okay. No. Okay. Yes. I was going to ask you to possibly read something from your book, a passage from your book, but otherwise I was wondering, um, America has a poet laureate. We don't have a prose laureate or a comic laureate. So I think we, we do treasure poetry. Uh, you know, there are open mic poetry nights at various cafes in the city and around here, but I think it might be differing. And I'm wondering, have you ever thought of a fourth book Maybe looking at poetry, you know, on the World Wide Web and with Google Translate, and yeah. even maybe rap as a new, the new form. Because I went to one of those open mic poetry nights, and some yeah. of the people were doing rap, so they yeah. considered that poetry. Yeah. Um, well, at, th at this point, I haven't thought of a next book. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a breather. <laughs> but, but I think, I think that argument is still being. Uh, still being rehashed and recast uh, and resumed uh, in poetry. But I'm, uh, if I were to do a fourth book, for, well, I'm too old to do a fourth book anyway, but, but uh, what, I, what I'm looking for in contemporary, in really contemporary poetry, in poetry of the 21st century, is some, I don't know, some galvanizing movement uh, or statement of poetics or some figure who can sort of crist who can start crystallizing uh, uh, things. I, the, the, there are many wonderful poets writing now, but the poetic scene seems to me very 
diffuse and diverse, and I, I, I don't see. I don't. I don't see a way, certainly, of, of, of clearly carrying my line of argument forward. Though I think the last, the last, la, the last sentence in the book says, <laughs> it's, "It's too early to make large claims about how poetry will take shape in the 21st century." In my very preliminary reading of the present situation, postmodernism has been deconstructing itself, and aspects of the neo-romantic impulse inform the work of poets like Robert Haas and Mary Oliver, Zori Graham and Louise Gluck. The contemporary poetry scene, however, remains diffuse and diverse, and I await a commanding figure or figures or a catalytic movement to constellate the next phase of the American argument about the power of the word. So that's where I am at the moment. <laughs> at but the moment. one of the things that you raise is that people, you know, there are people who read poetry, who appreciate poetry, like mm -hmm. it, but there are a lot of people writing poetry mm -hmm. and going to open mics yes. and, and having poetry workshops. That's a good point, yes. Uh, you know, there, there, it's like, it's a separate phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, uh, you know, there are probably more people writing poetry than reading poetry, right? Yeah. You know, so, yeah. and... Uh, That's interesting, yeah. There are a lot of I little, don't know what that little, means. A lot of little presses, you know. Right, uh, right. It's hard to get published, for a poet to get published by a major press, but there are a lot yeah. of little, little presses. And online. Yeah. People yeah. are online, publishing yes. online all the yeah. time. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Well, let me make one more suggestion of a book for you to write. Um, yeah. Which would be uh, 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 a book for a, you know, a, a less an academic audience than an educated poetry reading audience, of some of your favorite poems, for you to have a kind of interpretation of just a collection mm. of, of poems to make it available to people and don't publish it in Cambridge. People shit so, so somebody can afford to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it would be delightful. Well, that would be fun to do. Yeah. yeah. Fun to read, too. Cambridge did, did say they were going to do a paperback, but uh, they're not yet. There is a. You do the power of the word, because the first title stands academic textbook, yeah. you know, the first title I see That's what they that, wanted, yeah. And I think academic textbook, the $100 book for right. some course. The second book is something for the public to read yeah. for fun, you know. I agree. I, I would never buy the first title, you know. Yeah. Well, just buy the second title. <laughs> <laughs> Did you want to say? Uh, we, got, we got one more. Come, come around and, and get the mic. I don't think that's... A, is I this, don't think that's connected. Is it connected? Can he use that mic? Yeah, it okay. can. Okay, go ahead. Uh, so I have a question just zooming out to 30,000 feet and on a more philosophical level. Uh, when you think about all the literature you've, you've read and really getting glimpses into, into so many different people's minds, uh, what would you say has been the biggest impact that, that being exposed to so many different perspectives um, has really had on the way you approach your own life and, and our under, on your own understanding of of what it means to, to live a good life and, and what we should be doing in the future. Well, well, that's what it's all about, isn't it? That's why we, that's why we read is, 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 
is to try to understand the whole complexity of our lives and our situations better. And to me, poetry, I, I read a lot of novels and I, and I, and I like novels and, and I'm moved by novels, but I'm drawn to po poetry because poetry seems to me a much more, what do I want to say, uh, intense, condensed, uh, focused, um, penetrating use of language on the whole. I mean, not all poems are that way. And so for me, poems, poems can probe our intellectual dilemmas, our emotional complexities, our religious and spiritual aspirations and, quest and questions uh, in a way that is clarifying. And, and each poem is its own clarification. And so you keep reading in, in order to see things slightly differently uh, all the time. Uh, and it doesn't mean that you have no point of view of your own, no perspective of your own, no intellectual or, or, or religious or spiritual or emotional character of your own. Uh, but it's always being, being, being sharpened and challenged and clarified by, 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 by what you read. It, it's, if, if you're conscien conscious of yourself and of the world you live in at all, it seems to me you have to read <laughs> in order to make sense of it to yourself, for yourself. I don't know if that answers your question at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Okay. I, th I, I think we may have come to the end. I think so, unless somebody else has a question. Well, thank you you've very been, much, you've Albert been very, Gilby. Very good questions, and I, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> well, thank you, and, and please continue. And if you do have a large amount of money, there are copies of the books out there by him. <laughs> not and, this, and, No, but no. other books, and if not, <laughs> Once I return these, they're in the library. <laughs> and they're terrific, so you should, you should get them. <laughs> and some of them presumably should be in paperback up there. I don't know what's yeah, up there. Yeah. All thank right, you thank very you. much. Thank you. <laughs>